Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. You guys, we're back with another episode of So Many White Guys from WNYC Studios. I'm your host, Phoebe Robinson, and back with me is my sweet, cute friend with an amazing brain, Joni Mitch. Hi, Phoebe. So, guys, you're making some huge changes at So Many White Guys, and I think the biggest one is well, listeners. They let me out of the producer booth. My glass prison. <laughs> we are in the same room. Oh my God. So no more of that jankity ass sort of hollow sound. No more clicking in and out. Yeah, I'm looking at you in the eye right now. How's it feel? It's pretty hot. Yeah, I think it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much change happening, you guys, but if you can't believe it, it's season Four. And you guys aren't going to believe the fabulous peeps I'm going to talk to. It feels really good to be back, girl. I know. I missed it so much. And this season, I know all the dirt behind the scenes. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be hot. That's like my reality TV trailer. Oh, my gosh. You've been watching too much Batch. It is bad. <laughs> I'm hooked. I was just telling Phoebe how bad it makes me feel. <laughs> really bad. But it is going to be a great season. Yes. We're so pumped. Yes. Yes. You look a little darker. I went to Puerto Rico. Oh. It was so great. Can you do that? Oh, that was really good. You surprised yourself. I did surprise myself. Oh. Can you do that? Oh. Oh, my God. I think you're a rapper. I have a skill, you guys. (laughs) Jody Mitch, you listen to Cardi B a lot? No. So you were in the PR for, what, seven days? I was there for about a week, yeah. That's hot. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Well, you went on an amazing trip, though. Didn't you go all over Europe with British Bake Off? I did, you guys. I had to meet Bay's fam. So we wanted to do, like, a tour of the UK. So we got in, like, a few days early. He was, like, getting a tattoo worked on. This is, like, who I'm dating, someone who, like, gets tattoos worked on. And it was, like, on his knee. That sounds painful. And so, you know, there are a couple of times where I was, like, holding his hand. And I'd be like, oh, this is what it would be like if I was, like, ever pregnant in the delivery room. And I'm just, like, stroking his hand. And I'm like, you got this, babe. Anyone who has ever had a baby <laughs> is like, I hate this. They're like, it's not like getting a dumb fucking tattoo on your knee. <laughs> It's close. (laughs) Deep breaths. Yeah, so that's how we started the trip. Yeah. And then we went to Bournemouth, uh, which is where he's from. It's like two hours south of London for like eight days. What's it like? Well, I was the only black person there. (laughs) And it was just like, uh... it was nice, but it was just like 
you know, people that want to touch your hair. You're just like, really? Yeah. Wait, did somebody try to touch your hair? Multiple people. That's it's, horrible. How did Bake Off respond when he saw people approaching you? I mean, I think he got it. Like, it's he gets frustrated that it's affecting me because he's like, of I course. want you to enjoy it. He, like, understood and was very sort of supportive and just, you know, whenever I was just, like, irritated. And then cut to, like, a couple of weeks ago, we went to Sweet Chick in Brooklyn. He was, like, the only white person there. And I saw him. He, like, felt it. And I was yeah. like, this is, like, how I feel most of the time. So it was cool that he got to experience it and know, like, that's, like, how I've had to walk through the 34 years on this planet. But I will say the people are nice in Bournemouth and London. How long were you in the U.K. for? Bake Off and I were basically in the U.K. for, like, two weeks. And then we went to Venice for, like, four days. We went to the opera. It's like my first time going to That's the opera. That's so cool. And this is, what is it? La, what's the one that they saw in um, Pretty Woman? You said this is in Italian. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to know what they're saying? No, believe me, you'll understand. The music's very powerful. La Traviata. That's what it was. That's the one that we, that's the one that Big Off and I oh went to. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like your, that's your benchmark for culture. Yeah. If it was in Pretty Woman, <laughs> fine. But I'm like, I wanted to watch something where I sort of knew what the plot was going to be, so I wasn't going to be confused. But it was just crazy to hear people just singing like that. Like, how do you discover that you can do opera? That's wild. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. That's I've cool. discovered that I can't. <laughs> Walk us through that journey. <laughs> um, I tried to sing, and it sounds like shit. So oh, then no. I stopped. Can you give us a little taste? You know what? Phoebe can do all the singing for the both of us. What do you want me to sing? Um, oh, I love singing Lady Gaga Shallow. I can be Bradley <laughs> Cooper if he didn't sing. He has such a good voice. I was very sort of like. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I was like, I smash based off that voice. <laughs> Tell me something, girl. <laughs> <laughs> barely good <laughs> can you do the part where she's like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it just sounds like bad romance <laughs> oh it's true oh my god phoebs it's been too long it's been too long fucking hell shallow's a great song it I is a great that. song that's so, gonna happen all season i hope you know i'm just gonna just that's the theme song <laughs> we're gonna have to get it licensed to be like bankrupt <laughs> wnyc studios no one gets in their kids to college anymore because i'm singing. that'll be two million dollars they're like sorry you guys can't have health insurance because phoebe robinson <laughs> wants to have lady gaga and bradley cooper as the <laughs> so many white guys theme song Good luck. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand. Um, so in the past, when we've had to like toss to commercials, I've been a whiny little bitch. But this season, when you say it's time to go to commercial, guess what? We're just going to go. So, Joni Midge, there's literally, like, no one else I could picture kicking off this season 
than today's guest. Oh my God, I know. For our first episode of The Seas, I talked to my girl and one of my favorite activists and actresses, Jamila Jamil. She's British, which means she just sounds so much smarter than all of us. But Phoebe, you know how to speak British. I do. I do. Very much so. Yes, yes, yes. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, I'm a little bit posh. Do you want a little cup of tea? No, thank you. Oh, I, I would love a cup of tea. You know what? When, you, when you're from South London, right, it's just like in the UK and like you have like BBC, you have BBC One, you have BBC News. It's just a lot of options. You have a little bit multi Python thrown in. It's, it's just lovely to be from Britain. Wow. <laughs> You really know about the culture there, Thieves. <laughs> I just listed a bunch of things that's from a Google search. <laughs> anyway, Jamila is an actress, model, and a freaking damn activist. Oh, this is going to be season four, guys. Get ready. Now you know it's like to date me. Anyway, she's really cool, and she really rose to fame in the States from her amazingly funny show called The Good Place on NBC. Now, I know, Joni Mitch, you're a huge fan of the show. I love this show so much. It's so good. Her character, Tahani, is just wild. Mm -hmm. She's insanely privileged, insanely (laughs) narcissistic, and she drops people's names like crazy. I haven't been this upset since my good friend Taylor was rudely upstaged by my other friend Kanye, who was defending my best friend, Beyonce. And she also always wears, like, evening wear. Yeah, she has great, great style on yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of gowns. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of gowns. Ooh, okay. So here's the thing about Jamila, y'all. She's not just entertaining us. She is also an activist who cares about life positivity. That's the phrase she likes to use, life positivity, not body paws, life paws. She's so amazing. Like, she even gave a speech in the British House of Commons on body image and the media. Yeah, and she's worked with different human rights organizations, and she's been calling out companies like Avon and Flat Tummy Tees for their fat-phobic-ish, which is pretty damn badass. I know. She even called them out for this ad that was like, ooh, cellulite, gross, and they took it down, which I think is a win for cellulite. Yeah, also, everyone has cellulite, and also, it's cool. It is cool. Yeah, so get the fuck over it, guys. She even started an Instagram account that I love that I've been following called I Way, I underscore Way. And it's all about people embracing and celebrating their true selves. No more airbrushing up in there. Oh, and just as a trigger warning for listeners, we do talk about eating disorders. So keep that in mind. Um, it's all good stuff. It's going to be really fruitful, insightful, but I just want to give you the heads up. Okay, here's my conversation with Godess. Jamila Jamil. So, Jamila Jamil. Hey, girl. Hello. Thank you for joining so many white guys. Thank you for having me. This is a great honor. I'm so glad you're going to do the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I feel quite special and starstruck. (laughs) Oh, stop, miss. You just hit a million followers on Instagram. I did hit a million followers on Instagram, which is mad. You're a real person You know what's great, though, (laughs) is that like I started the year with predominantly male followers, and now I only have 18% male followers, (laughs) and I have 82% of bitches, which is so great. I'm so happy. I really wanted that. (laughs) But that's how I... We met... Via Instagram. We did meet yeah. on Instagram. I just, Why was that? I think I saw a couple of clips of your... This is like even before I seen The Good Place. And I saw a couple of clips of you just... Or interviews just talking about women's bodies and just like... Mm-hmm. 
just basically how everyone's like a dumb fucking idiot when it comes to women. And I was like, she's really cool. I'm going to just start following her. And I think I was already following you. Oh, you were? (laughs) (laughs) Just creeping on you from afar because I thought you were so great. Oh, thank you. Um, And I was so happy when you messaged me. But I think one of the reasons why people really gravitate towards you and really love you is because you're really using your platform to speak out about issues that are really important to you. But at the same time, you can also be silly and goofy and joke about farts. And Mm -hmm. you really strike that balance of taking like what you care about seriously without taking yourself seriously. And so as a public figure now that you are, how do you sort of is that something you like been working on? Like, how did you no. get to this place? No, I've been an activist for like six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it started, and this reminds me a little bit of something you said in your book, but you talked about how it wasn't until you gained weight that you started to realize that there was an issue mm-hmm. with the way that we treat people and like fat phobia and yeah. that it sucked to realize that it's only when it actually personally affects you that you start to realize mm-hmm. that you need to speak out about women's rights. And so I am... Um, I was, a brief history of me is I was a very fat, very sick child. I was deaf until I was 12. And then I had... You like, never told um, me that. Yeah, so I was, I was deaf uh, wow. on and off until I was 12. I used to have constant operations. And then finally, when I was 12, they put kind of like a fake eardrum inside my ear. So it's, wow. um, I think, skin from my butt. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was 20 years ago, but I'm pretty sure that I'm listening to you yeah. through my ass. Uh, <laughs> um, that's how most so, people listen to sure, me anyway. I so mean, you know, I try. It's very uh, Ace Ventura <laughs> yeah. of me. Um, and so then I, you know, I was super sick as a child and then in a wheelchair between 17 and 19. So constantly on medication that meant I was always mm-hmm. struggling with my weight and very bullied for it. So I was a, a chubby kid who then lost weight, became a TV host, uh, and then gained weight again on steroids for my asthma, mm. and I gained, like, 75 pounds. And I got fat-shamed so extraordinarily by the UK press for, like, six months. I had paparazzi, like, hun- like hunting me down, yeah. hiding outside my house, like, taunting me everywhere I would go, especially mm. if I would go to the supermarket or something to ask me what I was going to go and buy f- to eat, yeah. um, in the hopes that I would cry because they love to get a sad photograph of a fat woman so that they could, you know, paint the narrative of, like, you're thin and happy and you're fat and sad, whereas actually it was an amazing time in my life. But the narrative around me was that I was fat and depressed and a failure. So I became an activist then. And I got somewhere with it, but not really until six years later, I'm now on an NBC comedy and I'm still talking about this shit that I've been talking about consistently for six years. And now that I'm slim and I'm famous in America, now everyone's listening to what I have to say. And so a lot of people don't know my backstory with activism in this area. The problem is that when I was fat, no one listened to me. And now that Mm -hmm. I'm slim again, people are. And that in itself defines the problem. Yeah. And so because you're in this place where you do have like a million followers on Instagram. Yeah. And... Yeah, I'm sure you experience this more than I do, but recently I, like, walked out of New York Comedy Club because they had an alleged rapist on the lineup that I didn't know about and I didn't feel comfortable about it. Jesus Christ. Which is, like, terrible. And then, literally, people were like, oh, do you want to do an interview about this? Do you want to write an essay about it? And I was like, I, like, wasn't doing that to create more content. I think it's really oh, hard. Oh, for sure. And so every, how do you navigate that? Every fucking thing I tweet now becomes news. Yeah. And it's always because... As a woman of color in particular, it's always hits out at, bites back at, um, like slams. I'm always slamming everyone, even if I'm so politely. I'm so English. I'm like just sort of female Hugh Grant, just being like, (laughs) I don't think. Admittedly, I did once tell Kim Kardashian to fuck off. But still, (laughs) outside of that, 
<laughs> outside of that. I'm normally quite polite and yeah. just like trying to argue and debate. And they're just like, she just rips the head off of. And they use this really violent language around brown women. Uh-huh. And I mean, even more so for black women when I was in a in a discussion, a really like completely peaceful discussion with a black celebrity. Mm-hmm. They said that we locked horns. Oh, and that she rammed into me. And I noticed, what? I was like, wow, when you're yeah. black, the language becomes even more violent about just having a completely yeah. normal discourse. Yeah. I do think it's hard because I, I didn't say yes to doing that interview. I was like, I don't want to talk mm-hmm. about it. And I, I think there is... I think that was the right call yeah, in that situation. But, you have to pick your battles. Yeah, but do you ever... Are you worried that the message that you're trying to get out is getting muddled by all the circuits that people are trying to create around it? Whether it's you, oh, Jamila calling out Avon, like, she's so intense. Or, like, well, she's so pretty. Why is she talking? Like, it's it's hard to sort of separate the message from all yeah. the bullshit that surrounds it from everyone else. Yeah, I think that's why I'm having to be careful. But I also think, like, mm-hmm. fuck this likable shit. Mm-hmm. Fuck this thing where I have to be likable and agreeable. I've been racially abused I've been beaten up because of like being Pakistani I've been uh, sexually abused for being just a woman mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been through so many things like if I'm not likable if I'm a bit angry sometimes or if I want to speak out about something I'm a grown fucking woman and I'm going to do it yeah. so like you know people have the right to unfollow me and not listen to me and mute my name which I highly recommend sometimes actually <laughs> just mute my name um, I've <laughs> muted my own name uh, on the internet many times <laughs> um, but I, I'm not here for this Yeah, I've refused to shut up I'd rather go down in flames than than be complicit in this shit and be silent. I think when we're silent, we're as bad. And I find it amazing that when I go to like award ceremonies and stuff, you have so many like famous actresses and women coming up to me being like, I love what you do. It's so inspiring. That's all and it's all very nice. Mm-hmm. But then they never say anything publicly and they don't also ban Photoshop and they don't stop flogging these crazy products. Yeah. And they don't admit to the surgery that they've had. I think that's a really fucked thing. Yeah. If you want to have surgery, have surgery. Like I don't care what you do with your face. You want Turn your face into Stephen fucking Segal. Make yourself look like an actual <laughs> That's rose. That's a choice. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't care what surgery you yeah. did, you have, but own up to it. I think mm-hmm. that's a really important thing. I think that really fucked with you and me when we were younger is not knowing what people really look like and therefore yeah. holding ourselves to their standard. Yeah. Was that really messed with us? And you said something again in your book where you said up until a certain year, you could have remembered what you weighed every single year mm-hmm. of your life. I was like that. Yeah, This stuff messed us up so much. I've had so many problems with eating and with food that have only gone away in the last three years because yeah. of therapy. But it is, uh, it's important for me to say something. Amen, sister. But I want to I wanna go back. Okay. First of all, what was your childhood like growing up in England? Mm-hmm. And how do you think being bullied shaped you and... Were there any sort of like really fun memories from your childhood that you also think shaped you as well? Television shaped me Mm. as a childhood. That was my main thing. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I had a difficult childhood. We grew up with like basically no money and Mm -hmm. uh, we had to move a lot because my father used to run out of money quite a lot and then my dad left. Uh, So I was raised by a single mother mostly. Um, And it was just a very stressful childhood, especially because I couldn't hear a lot of the time. I was very sick. So I didn't have a a great first 20 years, I would Mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. But comedy kept me alive and I would watch it morning to night it was the first thing that I saw in the morning what were you watching Friends Mm -hmm. Frasier Cheers which is why it's so wild that I'm now acting with Ted Danson (laughs) who I had such a big crush on as a child and all the movies uh, like anything that Eddie Murphy was in like Trading Places Coming to America Uh, the first 
First movie I ever watched was The Terminator, which is wild because I was two. And Wait, so that I was, was like the a fucking, first movie? No, well, my brother's nine years older than me, so he got his okay. hands on it and he was babysitting me and he was like, we're going to watch this new fun Disney film. Um, and so that was the first film I ever watched. So I literally became a violent two-year-old. That Movies do, like, impact children, I promise yeah. you. I tried to, like, attack my dad with a toy hammer when I was two. Um, but yeah, so comedy was the thing that carried me through my childhood. I wasn't great with kids. I was, you know, a weird kid. I was also very academic and mm. like just sort of like your classic nerdy South Asian and I think what some people in America don't know is that um, bullying against South Asians in the United Kingdom is like probably the some of the more extreme racism you can mm. see over in the UK and so we are really like not welcome and uh, we are ridiculed and there's such bad erasure in like American and UK mm. culture where we're only ever seen as like we are the silly minicap person and hello I always talking like this yeah. we're never the sex symbol uh, you know and until so recently there were actual white people browning up and playing Indians it's it's yeah. so weird. Yeah. Um, so I just didn't have anyone to look to like that. So I think I looked to like white and black culture for my comedy. Growing up, was your school diverse or like? No. Got it. No, not yeah. diverse at all. No, there were like three South Asian girls yeah. and maybe four black girls in the whole school. Wow. And everyone else was white and super rich. I was a scholarship. We were all scholarship kids. Yeah, my high school too. Like we had to, I had to like do work study and all this so stuff. So you were one of the, the few in I your was, school? I was the only black girl in my grade. And I think there were three black girls total in the high, entire high school. So wild. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Surely in the moment I was like, oh, this kind of sucks. We like don't realize how much you miss that but you okay at school like were you bullied or were you okay I wasn't bullied I was kind of like a C student I was very like I only really I I loved film and tv so I just spent my time watching that and like I didn't really care about work school work and so I sort of coasted my brother was insanely popular it was like and I mean now he's like insanely successful I know but it's gonna change the world (laughs) I hope so but it was just like so cool like Every girl, like, thought he was the coolest guy. And I'm like, he, like, was in jazz. Like, he's, like, not cool. Like, he's in, like, jazz band. And, like, you know, like, he, like, watches C-SPAN for fun. But, like, he was, like, (laughs) truly, it's, like, this is not the coolest guy. But, like, everyone, he's so charming is what it is. It's, like, he has one of the best personalities. So, like, everyone would just be, like, Phil, Phil, Phil. But it was just like, you look back on your like... That's a funny shadow to be in. Yeah, right. Like, your nerdy older brother. (laughs) (laughs) He watches C-SPAN, how hot, you know. Um, But, so you watch a lot of TV, and I read that you were hit by a car Mm -hmm. as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, I think if anyone ever has any sort of brush with death like mm-hmm. that, that has to shape you in some way. And Changed so, my life. Yeah, okay. So hit, I got hit by one car into another car because I just saw a bee. I just hit by saw one car into another. into another car, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. It was like Final Destination. <laughs> um, but I just saw a bee. And because yeah. my girl fucked me up, mm-hmm. my girl fucked fucked me up and now I just think all bees are going to kill me so just seeing a bee on the same side of the road as me my natural it's so sad that this is my survival instinct but it is to run into traffic it's genuinely what my brain does it like (laughs) runs into a much more dangerous situation just to get away from the bee so it's completely my fault I got hit by one car into another car broke my back uh couldn't walk again for like a year and a half so were you were you wheelchair bound or were you 
or just yeah. Sort of I mean, rest. the only way I would be able to move around is in a wheelchair, yeah. and so like I think I used a wheelchair a couple of times, but generally, like I lived on the second floor, so I didn't, and we didn't have an elevator, so mm. I lived. I just lived in a room, like a sort of like old Jane Austen film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on my own. Yeah. And um, everyone my age was kind of off at university all around the country. So I just was alone for about a year and a half in kind of solitary confinement. Wow. Um, which was incredible because, A, I watched so much Oprah. Yes. And so much Dr. Phil and so much Maury. Uh, <laughs> and so I <laughs> became, trifecta, I I think, became really. very wise. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and also it taught me how to respect my body because I've been so anorexic until then. And so I had like a proper anorexia starving myself, like mm-hmm. my bones digging into my bed. Like I didn't have a period for three years, didn't oh eat a meal for gosh. three years. I was like, uh, yeah, legit like lifetime special uh, anorexia. And it may, taught me that I had like how fragile this body of mine is and how Mm. important it is and how sad it is when you lose the ability to do basic things like piss on your own. My brother, credit to him, carried me to the toilet every day. And so after that, I decided to to start eating again and allow myself to respect my body and learn how to like treat it just kindly. And then I also read this book called uh, The Yes Man by Danny Wallace. Mm -hmm. And this book changed my whole life. It's just about a man who has depression who decides one day to say yes to everything. And um, so apart from anal, (laughs) I have now become someone who says yes to everything. (laughs) I just, I'm very protective about my asshole. I'm sorry. It's just like, it's my safe space. It's Um, because you use part of your ass for your ear. So you need to, you know know what I mean? I I wouldn't be able to hear if someone was blocking it. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and um, I became an English teacher. I lied about my age and my qualifications, and because you I did. have a fancy accent, they believed that I was older <laughs> and qualified. Um, I became an English teacher, teaching English as a foreign language in a school. One day I was in a pub, and this TV producer came up to me. We started talking, and he said he thought I was funny and that I should try for this huge audition for this mm-hmm. big show on Channel 4 in England, which is the biggest channel in England. And uh, I was like, nah. And then he said, it's a thousand pounds a day. I mean, imagine a thousand dollars a day for an English teacher. That's and yeah, I was like, huge. Okay, what would Danny Wallace do? He would say yes. So because <laughs> of that pause, book. Just yeah. pause real quick. Did you, uh, did you ever have an inkling that no. you wanted to be in a TV? Okay, got no. it. Never. But you watched so much of it and brought you so much joy, but you never felt like, no, oh, this is something I could do. It's such a cra- A, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen anyone who looked like me on the TV. Mm. So I just thought it's just not a place for Indians. Yeah. You know, I never saw myself in entertainment. I just mm. saw myself as a consumer of it. Uh, but I think that book made me think, you know what? I've never done this before. I don't know anything about it. Yes, I'm going to go. Danny Wallace would want me to go. Yeah. So I owe this fucking guy my whole life wow. because that's the thing that made me move to America at 28 with no contacts and no visa and leave my job and my relationship and my life in England. Mm -hmm. It was because of that book. Yeah. And so I know you said that people were sort of like, you're going to move to the States. Like, why? You're not going to make it. Like, people were just so... They said I was too old, too fat, and too ethnic. Oh, my gosh. So they didn't... (sighs) The English don't beat around the bush. Um, and then the good place happened. So I did bam, all, bitch. I did, I did all right. Bam, bitch. I did okay. Yeah, I, I got very, I got clit. very lucky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was, but this is this is really huge though because the good place you've never acted before. No. This is your first role, and yeah. it's on a celebrated, critically acclaimed. People really love this show, and so. 
you really and you you're a writer too like I don't think you like you didn't move here to pursue no. acting no yeah. I just moved here I wanted to write comedy because yeah. I've been watching it my whole life and it made me so happy and I wanted to make other people happy and so I got signed as a writer by Three Arts and uh, Three Arts were also making The Good Place and they were like there's this audition for this very annoying overly tall English woman who's from Pakistan <laughs> Um, You're like, so me? I was like, wow, so they must have seen me on TV when I was younger, I guess. Um, and they just said, go to the audition. Yeah. And I went because of Danny Wallace. Yeah. And so I went to that audition not having any expectations. I think I live my life with high hopes and no expectations. I was so calm and chilled. I was a bit nervous, actually, just before the second audition. I um, I did a little poo. In the in the to- the toilet uh, the, at the casting office. I hope it was in the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> we all assume, but we- <laughs> no, this is really bad. So we're in the audition. It was the second audition, I think, this time, mm-hmm. and the first one had gone well. So I was like, now a little bit nervous because Mike Show was going to be in the room, and so I was like, just about to go in. I was this like, you know what? I just need to do show. a little nervous. Yeah. You, do you do nervous poos? A little nervous poos? It's like a little cat poo. Um, yeah. So I uh, went to do it. Um, and there's only one toilet and it's shared by the casting directors and all of the actresses. Oh. And so it's just in this one office. And I think it was like in Alison Jones's house. So sorry, Alison, because what happened is I then went to flush it and the flush came off in my hand. So I couldn't oh, flush it. No. So now it's just me and this little poo oh. just staring at each other, like Wild West oh. style, kind of a... <laughs> of what, you go- what are you going to do now, bitch? And so I, I don't know what to do. So I'm like, do I have to... Okay, I'm just going to climb out the window and leave and go back to England. Yeah. Which is genuinely my first instinct. And I I climb onto the toilet and try to climb out of the window that is behind the toilet and realize that it's like a a 20-foot drop out there. So if I fall over and break my leg, then they're going to find me and the poo, which is infinitely a worse story. So I decide to climb back in and then I look at it and I'm like, I'm going to have to pick it up. Yeah, you got to scoop it out. Pick it up. And why are you saying that so casually? Because that's the only solution is you have to scoop it out. We need to we need <laughs> to talk about this. What the fuck? <laughs> have you done this before? I've never, but as soon as you said this, I was like, yeah, you just got to scoop it out. You got to like roll it up. I don't, the, I don't gotta... appreciate your casualness <laughs> about this. You foul woman. <laughs> well, I was not so uh, nonchalant about this, and I was really distressing about the... I'd never touched poo before. You yeah. know, I don't have any smaller siblings or anything. I don't have a dog, so yeah. I, really, this would have been my first contact. I put my hand in the bowl. I'm just about to make contact with the water, and then I, in the corner of my eye, I see there's this little bit of metal sticking out the side of the toilet. Yeah. So I'm like, I could maybe use my teeth as a wrench, and if I can pull that backwards, I can flush the toilet. So yeah. I do that. I use my teeth as a wrench. I pull the whole thing back. The poo flushes, and it's gone. And so wow. by this point, I'm so flustered, and I'm so embarrassed, and they know yeah. I've been in the toilet for 10 minutes doing this, like, what they think is probably an epic shit, yeah. uh, that I don't even remember what happened in that room. I just went in, got in, got out. I was in and out in maybe, like, a minute and a half. Did yeah. my scene with Mike. Didn't really say anything to him. Kind of blacked out and left. And apolo- I remember apologizing to him at the end of the audition, being like, I'm sorry for what happened. Please don't tell my agent. And then I just left. And I got the pup. And <laughs> I don't know why I told you that. There's something about you. <laughs> That is really funny, but it's always, there are always moments where you just embarrass yourself you know and what? it sucks. It really did teach me something though. Yeah. I was like, when I don't care, I am the best performer that yep. I could be. When you just don't give a fuck yep. anymore, it is infinitely the best. And I realized how much nerves and self-consciousness really hold us back. So weirdly, that moment was actually very shaping yeah. to me and realizing <laughs> that shame is not is not doing me any favors. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us about what, it, it? you know, watching The Good Place and seeing you guys in interviews, it just seems like, 
so fun. And mm-hmm. you guys really seem like tight knit. Like, can you talk about like some of your favorite moments from The Good Place so far? I think it's because Ted is a great leader. A, Mike Schur makes the most, he's the creator of the show. He makes the most incredible workspace. So he just, he fights for equal rights of gender. He's the only, he's the only showrunner I know who fights to have an equal amount of female and male directors, equal amazing. amount of female and male writers. Um, he's made an amazing environment. And then Ted Danson is the dad of your dreams. And then one of my favorite memories is one that actually recently occurred, which is that Ted had us over to his house for a sleepover, which sounds like it's no, not. Uh, no, 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 no. It was so sweet. He invited us with our partners to come over and him and Mary cooked for us. Aww. And uh, he has all these kind of like little mini cabins near his house. And so he put each of us up there and they had like gluten-free snacks on everyone's pillows and just made us breakfast in the morning and Mary made us a frittata. And it was just like <laughs> this insane moment of just realizing that, God, this is the first show I've ever worked on where everyone's genuinely really nice and we're all really good friends and we have the same sense of humor and they're good people. So it's nice to know that a show of morality isn't being like... yeah acted out by a bunch of dicks. Yeah, and it's a show about morality, it's a show about death, and it's a comedy, and I'm like, I am so... It shouldn't I, work. Yes, because I think about On death On paper, it's a time. disaster. Do you? Yeah, yeah, because it's like scary, because you're like, I just feel like there's not enough time to do everything you, you mm-hmm. want to do, so how is it to do a comedy about the afterlife and death and not feel sort of bummed out about death? I don't ever feel bummed about death or afraid of it, but I think that's because I'm no longer living a life that I regret. Mm. I think t- 10 years ago, I was very afraid of death, but I think now I'm doing everything I want. I'm doing a job that I like. I'm fulfilled. I've worked fucking hard to get here. I got mm. here on my own from nowhere. That was always my life dream until I get killed and framed by Flat Tummy T. Uh, or, <laughs> <laughs> or one of those diet talk shakes. <laughs> How dare they all sell laxatives? How I dare know. these celebrities and influencers sell laxatives I and not just say, just say they're laxatives? Own it. You know what? There is a thing which I don't think is uniquely American, but there is something, this level of perfection of, I did it all myself. I pull myself up and I may, I turn myself into something as opposed to saying like, yeah, it's great that you're insanely in shape, but you have a personal trainer, you have, you have a, a chef, cook, you I have, have yet yeah, all these things, but nobody wants to own you up to that. You also have a very talented surgeon. Yeah. You and I come here, like yeah. we're in L.A., Sometimes yeah. we see these people in yeah, real life. I know. But I think it's that it's that whole narrative of just being I'm self-made. And so nobody wants mm-hmm. to cop to I had a little bit of help because that that isn't cool. But it's, it's not about being also cool. just greed, man. Like yeah. have surgery, knock yourself the fuck out, but own up to it. Yeah. And if you're going to use a filter, own up to it or just don't use a filter. Yeah. But don't lie. Don't make people feel inferior for not living up to something that you yourself do not fit. Exactly. And a standard that you yourself do not meet. I, I think know. that is gross. I don't use filters on anything. I don't have any airbrushing on anything that I do ever. And I'm very, very transparent about everything that mm-hmm. I do. And I own up to my my shit and to my flaws. And thus far, it hasn't killed my career. Mm-hmm. So you brought up your eating disorder. And so could you elaborate, like, what were some of the tools that helped you sort of yes. get out of that? And is this something you still sort of have to deal with every day? I still have body dysmorphia, which means I can't see in the mirror what other people can see when they look at me. Mm. I can see a photograph and see that, but in front of the mirror, I don't know what's wrong with my eyes or my mind, but I can see something very different to what I see in pictures or what other people see. Uh, but I had EMDR therapy. That is E M D. 
up. And it is the best thing that I ever did is for something that gets used often for post-traumatic stress, but it also works for compulsive eating uh, disorders. And what it did is reprogram my thoughts that are attached to my feelings. So I stopped being afraid of food and I stopped being afraid of of fat when I would see it. And I uh, stopped the self-hating narrative, the bully in my head. You know, we all have that bully in our head that just sort of parrots whatever we've been told by society, but it says it to you quietly in your brain uh, all the time. And I would never let anyone say any anything to you that I happily, openly accept saying to myself. Yeah. I would stick up for you more than I stick up for me. So it taught me how to like silence the bully in my head. And just be like, hold the fuck on. You can't talk to her like that. Yeah. And so now I stick up for myself in my own head. Yeah. So yeah, EMDR therapy mostly and opening up to friends about it so that people could keep an eye on me mm. and keep me in check and see when I, you know, was slipping. But there is still practicing in it because, you know, also you're triggered all the time when you mm. see all this shit everywhere that's always telling you to diet. I think protecting yourself, truly protecting yourself online uh, is one of the most important things you can do, which is just sort of like deleting anyone or anything that triggers you. But um, it's an ongoing, you know, I had I had an eating disorder, even though I wasn't a practicing anorexic uh, after the age of 20, I had an eating disorder brain until I was like 29 years old. And so my mind is very clear and I'm able to be better. But truly, that is the only therapy that I could recommend to really like get to the root of the problem. I'm so happy for you. Thanks. Yeah. Are you good with great. food now? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good with it. I think sometimes I'm like I think I'm okay with it. I just, you know, I always talk about this with my boyfriend just because, you know, we also talk about fittings and stuff and I'm a size ten and yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah, whatever. we should talk about that right yeah. now. Yeah, sure. The fuck? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. And so, you know, there's so many times where like I can't, you know, my size is like, I'll reach out to this person when they said like they only have a two four, you're too big, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I just was very clear with her and with my PR people just being like, guys, I am not going to do, to lose weight. Mm-hmm. So what are the other options here? So mm-hmm. it's like I bring my own clothes. I buy my own stuff. I'm like, if someone says I'm too big for their their clothing, I won't wear their clothes yeah. anymore, even if I see it, you know, in a store or whatever. And I just sort you of— You and I to... talk about this privately on text yeah. quite a lot, is that we, you know, we compare our experiences at photo shoots because neither of us fit into the samples. Like, I'm 5'10 and a size 6, and I can't fit into any of the samples. I actually send Phoebe text messages of, like, me from the back where you can see that I've had to leave the entire dress open and just tape both sides of it together yeah. in order to wear the dress on the cover. Like, nothing I wear is ever fully zipped up. Yeah. I've been there. Like, I'm basically wearing everything you see as an, as an apron. <laughs> <laughs> and my ass is out at the back. <laughs> um, it's, it's wild and it makes you feel bad about yourself when you're young. But now yeah. I... Don't you feel like we've gone from, like... I used to feel shame on me when I couldn't fit into stuff when I was younger. Now I'm like, fucking shame on you for yeah. not making something that could fit. Yeah, and sometimes I still beat human. myself up being like, oh, I wish really? I could fit this. But then other times I'm just like, you have the fabric. Just make it bigger. That's yes. fine. You, the, the va- you had to cut this out. So just cut maybe six more inches out. It's it, That's where it all starts. Yeah. It's a really pervasive and fucking crazy problem where the designer either doesn't want to use more material or is not talented enough to make something that looks good other than when it's hanging off an actual like hip bone or collarbone. Yeah. I haven't done this yet, but have you ever called anyone out on set for the lack of sizing when it comes to their clothes? I... Oh, as in like in, yes, I did. Oh, great. At a photo shoot recently, I couldn't fit into anything. I felt the immediate feeling of shame and embarrassment when I was in the bathroom, like trying on the clothes and mm-hmm. not being able to get any of the trousers up past my knees. And they had, they ask you for your sizes weeks in advance. Yep. 
you give them your sizes, you give them your measurements, they know exactly what size you are. And so I felt that immediate, like, I felt hot with shame that I was going to have to walk out and tell people that I didn't fit. And then suddenly I became overcome with this cool feeling of like, shame on them. How dare they bring me these Gap Kids sizes <laughs> when I am yeah. a grown woman who sent them my fucking sizes. Yeah. And so I came outside and I told everyone off and I said I was absolutely disgusted and that uh, we would either have to change the editorial or I would wear my own clothes and they let me wear my own clothes. Yeah, and do that for shoot. a shoot too. Yeah, but it's so yeah. sad that we have to bring a suitcase to every single photo shoot full of our own clothes just because nobody can fit us. And we are two very normal sized women. Jamila, you've accomplished so much, not only like professionally, but also personally. So like, what's next for you? Like, what are some things that you want to just knock off the list? Um, a Weight Watchers campaign? Uh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. She's a fraud. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm writing a book about shame. And I am... I've got another season to do of The Good Place that's coming up in April and I've turned I Weigh into a company. We're turning it into kind of like a a lifestyle company that's actually about your fucking lifestyle, not just about looking thinner and younger. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah, we so- all know. <laughs> We're all like, oh, shit. Um, It's about being smarter and happier. And it's like, this is going to be a place where we have a platform to lift up the activists who've been doing all the work all of these years. That's amazing. Like, honestly, thank you for doing that. Because I think lifestyle brands is all about just everyone looking like a Pilates teacher. Yeah, for sure. If we continue to spend so much time thinking about our bodies and thinking about our aesthetics, we will not spend that valuable time thinking about how to grow our lives and to grow ourselves and to grow our families. And I think what's dangerous about about that is that we will never become equal to men if we spend this valuable time thinking about fucking bullshit. There's so many different types of people out there and we they should all be allowed to feel proud of themselves. And so that's all I'm fighting for. Ugh, Jamila, Jamel. Phoebe. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was like, this was like so fun. Thank you for everything. I appreciate you. God damn. Phoebe. After that interview, do you feel lit? Because I feel lit. I feel fired up. I mean, she makes me mad, but in a righteous way, in a good way. She makes me want to, like, make some changes in my own life, you know? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, and, like, what I loved about the conversation is how you talked about how, like, or how much your body image was affected from a young age, like, growing up. I had every teen magazine and it wasn't until the last two years that I was like, oh, those really fucked me up. So I love that she's drawing attention to that. Yeah, it's like every teen mag, like no one has zits. And I'm like, we all had zits. (laughs) Your cover star should only have zits. Totally. Like only when they have an acne breakout, can they do the photo shoot? We should add zits to your your (laughs) social media profiles. Well, I'm so glad you guys enjoyed the episode. We're not going to, like, talk forever, even though we know you love us. Um, The thing is, we got to go home. Yeah. I tried to, like, live here, and WNYC was like, no. It was the whole thing, you guys. I was like, I will pay rent, and they were still like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Please leave. Yeah. (laughs) So let's do these Outro credits. How does that sound? I think that sounds great, Phoebe. Should I try to do a British accent the whole way? Sure. Oh, fuck. Follow your truth. 
The So Many Work Guys team includes Anne-Marie Baldonado, Joanna Salatora, Paula Schumann, Joe Claude, Keegan Zimmer, Noor Wazwaz, and moi, Phoebe Robertson. Our theme song was written by a white dude and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. Find behind-the-scenes content on our Instagram, at WNYC Studios. You can also follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, or follow me on Instagram at DopeQueenPhoebes, or you can look for me in a garage. I just want to say garage, because they say garage. They say aluminium instead of aluminum. That one's crazy. That's crazy. That's why I told Bake Off, and he was like, it's aluminium. And I'm like, no, it's not. Sounds like a mad scientist. Right. So anyway, you Brits are quite fucking weird with the way you pronounce things, but it's okay, because guess what? English is based off of you guys. So I guess we just got to, like, suck it up and speak like you, don't we? <laughs> Bye, Q. Bye. <laughs> You should you should do a uh, can you do a British accent? I can try. Oh, that was good. Just do a little more confidence. Uh, Believe in yourself, darling. Oi! I can try. <laughs> can I take the lift, please? <laughs> I've got to get Tom to my flat. There's this crazy bird up there. Love. I love how you're just saying like <laughs> one word. So you can't even get the momentum of the accent. <laughs> Did somebody say crumpet? <laughs> Did somebody say tea time? Because I would love some tea and some sandwiches. <laughs> Cucumber, please. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the episode. As you know, I have a stand-up tour coming up called Sorry, Harriet Tubman. I'll be going all over the country. That's country. So go to PhoebeRobinson.com to get your tickets. They're going fast, babies.